0: why the working class needs to take power to save the world. So we started the last class briefly discussing um, how before capitalism came about, under feudalism, most major social and political decisions were still being made in the interests of the nobility. Even though the emerging capitalist class was increasingly gaining economic control, that class needed revolutions to gain full economic and political power over society to impose the interests of capitalism on society. Similarly today, even though the working class stands at the epicenter of all economic production, nothing moves, nothing is produced without the labor of working people. The working class does not have any political power to make decisions that reflect their interests as a class. And we can see this with every major social and environmental problem uh, we face today. The solutions to these problems are well known and entirely achievable. But these problems are systemic, and like a straitjacket tying our hands, the dictatorship of capital stands in the way of being able to implement any of the obvious solutions. The fact that political power is in the hands of the capitalist class is what keeps us from being able to solve them. I'm going to first go over some of the ways that the domination of the capitalist class stands in the way of solutions working people need. Then I'll explain why the working class is particularly placed in society and socially positioned to lead other classes to create a collective society without individual property in the means of production. And finally, a society without class divisions. So take the pandemic. Epidemiologists and health experts know what is needed to deal with virus outbreaks mass testing of the population, contact tracing, setting up places for people to quarantine and isolate. Uh, We've even seen other capitalist regimes able to carry out what is necessary. For instance, in Vietnam, Taiwan, and New Zealand to a certain extent. In these places, they've been able to get their outbreaks under control weighing the long-term risk to profit as more serious than the short-term loss. But the U.S., where the capitalist class is huge and divided, the Trump administration chose avoiding putting profits at severe risk and taking wealth away from banks to pay for the protection of the population. We see the same in Brazil and Nicaragua and so many countries that have chosen denial as a policy. There are solutions to the pandemic spreading when we take profit out of the equation. Look at what the NBA has been able to do. Bracelets to track early COVID symptoms, daily testing, quarantined hotel rooms, and more. Obviously, this could be implemented for the population, but that would mean the capitalists would lose money. At the same time, the production of the virus um, and viruses like this themselves are rooted in the capitalist system of agriculture and animal industries, which have drastically reduced biodiversity. Epidemiologists have warned for decades that the more these practices continue, the more the risk of pandemic outbreaks increases. And of course, there are solutions to focus on sustainable growth and farming practices that are localized and don't destroy habitats. But these methods would require destroying the huge multinational agriculture companies and their strangleholds on the industry. And if we're talking about the environment, global warming is another example. We know what is needed to stop emissions and mitigate the impacts of climate change, as well as how to take CO2 out of the atmosphere. We need to transition to renewable energy, the end of all fossil fuel extraction and use, the elimination of needless production, and a reorganization of agriculture and transportation. What we need is really a complete reorganization of human society, all of which goes against the very core of capitalism, where trillions of dollars are invested in these industries operating the way that they do. The fossil fuel industry, for instance, isn't budging, and in fact, they've doubled down and even expanded. The reason that we haven't been able to really address global warming has been made made clear at every climate summit filled with world leaders who say over and over again, it's simply too expensive to do what's necessary. We say that for humanity, it's too expensive not to do this. There are many ways capitalism stands in the way of social development. Consider the misery of work and poverty. Capitalists need to maximize profits through exploitation. They need to get work done with the fewest workers possible and the lowest wages possible. This creates permanent unemployment and subsistence wages and creates conditions where workers have little time for anything else in their lives. Obviously hiring more people, eliminating unemployment would bring down the hours of work for people and so on to allow people to finally live fulfilling lives work could be organized by the workers themselves and be actually a place of enjoyment. Some workers sometimes get tiny glimpses of this on night shifts or at times when management's gone, but the obstacle is not the complexities of getting the work done. Workers already know how to do that. It's that the decisions around how to organize work are made in the interests of capital and not workers. And that cannot change so long as the capitalist class is running the show. Consider education. Roughly 2% of the world's population gets any real college-level education. That's because capitalism, for the most part, needs wage laborers, not college graduates. Think of the utter waste of human potential here. Of course, we know what quality education looks like. Just look where people like President Obama and former Secretary of Education Arnie Duncan sent their kids to school, Chicago Laboratory Schools. These are $40,000 per year private institutions with small class sizes, enormous opportunities to learn driven by organic curiosity, studying with expert scientists and mathematicians, and dance and music and so on. There are very few limits on their education. Of course, we could educate and train more teachers and create this kind of quality education for all from preschool to PhD. But under capitalism, that's a non-starter. It's considered a waste to educate workers to that level. Can you imagine if bus drivers all had advanced college degrees? Do you think any of them would accept for a minute the horrible conditions that have been forced on them? No, capitalist education functions not to develop people's talents and knowledge, but to meet the economic needs of the system, which for the most part needs rather low levels of education and high levels of obedience training. Consider racism and xenophobia. They're among the most important tools of capitalist domination. Racism, for example, rather than being an inherent trait of humanity, was developed as a philosophy to solve a particular problem that capitalism had in the 1600s. How could they control working people in colonized lands where the indigenous population was dying from European diseases and the European workers could easily run away and melt into the crowd of free light-skinned people? The enslavement of a population stripped of its languages, cultures, and family and marked physically by its color, gave these merchants and landowners untold profits. Doing so, however, gave birth to the racist ideology of white superiority that rationalized this new reality. And once this toxic ideology was thoroughly embedded in our culture and systems, it continued to bear fruit for capitalists. Even after the enslavement of the black population ended, as it manages to pollute the minds of white working people and all working people like a virus, keeping the exploited population divided. And this continues today and we must fight it continuously. The capitalist class uses its propaganda tools to foster our divisions continuously and drive them deeper. It does this with the help of the unstable and threatening reality created by capitalism. Xenophobia and racism together play a constant role in their propaganda to working people. They create narratives using their political parties and control over the various forms of media that say particular groups of people, like people of color or immigrants, lack the humanity that's possessed by our white ruling class. What a joke. They present the others as responsible for the horrors that are in fact created by this ruling class. If the glaring social needs in society are finally addressed, such as the fear of unemployment, of low wages, or lack of healthcare, of terrible or inaccessible education systems, and so on, and if all people had access to the best society had to offer, then the appeal of blaming others for our insecurity and unmet needs would disappear, and we could finally begin to progress beyond these divisions. Consider human development. How many of us could be musicians or artists or scientists or whatever we wanted to be? But how could capitalism give us that kind of time? The dreams workers have are often shattered because our time is stolen from us. We're deprived of being able to realize our potential. Of course, as I mentioned before, with less time needed for work, full access to education, and real time to develop our talents, who knows the limits to human potential? But again, this would deprive capitalism of its most basic need for functioning, the exploitation of the working class. And another thing that's held back by this society is innovation. It's the big lie fed to us about capitalism that profits drive competition and innovation. But under socialism, innovation could finally be freed from the narrow track of profit. There's so many technologies that aren't implemented, even though they're better for society, because they'd eliminate other profiting industries like fossil fuels versus renewables. Not to mention the patents locking in certain inventions so they don't get developed or forcing scientists to waste talent and research in order to find redundant workarounds to the problem. If people were free to use science and knowledge to solve problems, innovation could take off. Labor-saving innovation would mean less work for all of us and a way better society for everyone. We could build things to last instead of become obsolete, but of course All of this would undermine all of the main aspects of profit accumulation under capitalism. So all of this is to say that another world is possible. There are many solutions to problems we've been taught are unsolvable because they're unsolvable under capitalism. But while the solutions do exist, our window of opportunity to implement them is shrinking. Society has to move beyond this system, more so now than ever before because we're facing a ticking clock for the longevity of the species on our planet. The hard part about making this a reality isn't finding the solutions, it's winning the fight to transform society. Our challenge is going from where we are now to the necessary revolutionary transformation of society. What we need to do is focus our energy and resources on where we know our power to transform society lies, and that's in the working class. The working class has the potential to bring socialism from a concept into a reality. First to clarify, working class doesn't simply mean people who have jobs, it refers to all people that have to sell their labor to survive. That includes those who are unemployed, et cetera. The working class is truly the class that runs everything. Workers make our clothes, everything we use, they build buildings, drive buses, make power and plumbing happen, really everything. And while a few capitalists sit at the helm of society deciding to drill for oil here or produce disposable plastics there, it's the workers who actually do the drilling or manufacturing. Capitalists can decide to defund education or transportation, but if transportation workers, teachers, builders, factory workers, nurses, etc. they have the real power and ability to resist and stop the destructive efforts of the capitalist class. Workers make society run. They can also decide to stop it from running. And ultimately, this is the most important element from a Marxist point of view. The working class can decide and implement a plan to run society differently. Workers movements develop as a counter to the interests of capital. All of the problems listed above can be fought successfully by workers because of the fact that their hands are on the levers of society. Protests outside the workplace can be productive in pressuring governments and in shifting social consciousness, but they have limited transformative power if they remain outside of the workplaces. When workers organize themselves, we have the potential to truly transform society, not just resist. Because in resisting the daily attacks on workers' lives, workers can end up taking on the task of solving social problems. When people are hungry, the workers' movement organizes to feed them. When people need clothes, transportation, healthcare, workers who already run these industries can organize and fight to provide these things when the capitalist class refuses to. What the workers' movement does, doesn't just address the narrow problems of each individual worker or workplace, but addresses the social problems of the entire class. And this is because the working class is situated in production not as individuals or as collective owners of property the working class does all of its work collectively as part of a greater whole interdependence is built into their social relations within and in between every workplace collectivity is at the foundation of work in our society at present and the product of that work is currently expropriated by the owners of capital. When the workers create their own democracy and seize power, they do it collectively, automatically because of their social position. We have seen this tendency toward collective decision-making develop in every serious successful confrontation between the working class and capitalists. As a worker's movement develops and approaches its revolutionary potential, it has to develop structures to coordinate struggle. When these structures are democratic, it has the greatest hope of overcoming the fight with capitalists. As a popular movement, it can win the confidence of the majority of the population by ensuring that the leadership of the movement expresses the will of those participating in the struggle. Leaders can be held to operating in the interests of the majority in the struggle and be immediately recallable without being given any extra privileges for their positions. And they are coworkers, neighbors, people that are known and part of the community, not separate or above it. These structures that come together as workers' movements unfold are the embryo of socialism, and they're aimed at solving the problems of humanity, which are the problems of the working class. But just like the capitalist class before it, The working class can't truly run society until the capitalist system is removed. Until the working class takes power in a revolution, capital stands in the way. Capitalists fight back tooth and nail, or more appropriately, bullet and baton, to maintain their system just as the nobility did to maintain feudalism. Class struggle has been the basis of all major transformation throughout history. It's the working class that has the task of taking struggle to its conclusion, to a future without classes, the only possible future for humanity considering climate change. We can expect that the vanguard of this fight will be the most exploited parts of the working class, working people of color, black workers, women workers, and especially women of color. The future capitalism has laid out for us is is a dead end for civilization, threatening all of humanity. It shows its dysfunctions and problems to all of us in many ways. Environmental collapse, war, economic collapse, and right now with this pandemic. Capitalism won't collapse on its own unless it collapses by taking us with it. Until then, it will continue on its destructive path if nothing is done. What we see is that today the future of humanity is in the hands of the working class. But today, we look around and there's no real revolutionary working class organization to fight for this future. That could change, and it could change rapidly in a time of crisis. We've seen many people becoming radicalized right now, especially younger people who can see so clearly that they have no future in this system. This could give rise to a new generation of revolutionaries who can build the kind of connections and inroads in the working class that are necessary for the success of the workers' revolution. In fact, our moment is pretty extraordinary. There are a lot of young people horrified by the looming climate catastrophe and lack of stability that their futures hold. Many of them are searching for the levers of power that will change the course of history. And this is coinciding with an extraordinary crisis in the working class that could very soon lead to massive upheavals. While we have a long way to go, we shouldn't be daunted by our task. Society doesn't change along some slow, linear trajectory. It changes in fits and starts, in upheavals and periods where masses of people are transformed very rapidly. But where that heads is going to depend on how the workers' movement develops and who commits themselves to fighting with it.